Well, every Sunday is a special Sunday, but it's always great when we can welcome new members into our body here at this local church. And what a joy it is to receive these members and to just enjoy the journey with them as Christ is working in all of us. So this past week I was reading a book uh, where the Christian author stated that Christian community is not about us. It is about the transforming presence of Christ, all he will do in and through and with us. That's a challenging statement. It's also kind of where we find the two disciples that we're going to read about in the passage this morning. They're on a road to Emmaus, we're told, and their dreams about what life together with Christ was going to be like had vanished before their eyes, violently ripped from them over the weekend. And yet a new day was dawning, and they didn't even realize it. The account that we're going to read uh, begins with two days and distraught disciples. They're traveling along the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, It was Sunday, the third day of a traumatic weekend, one that they had not expected. On Friday, the disciples witnessed the the just traumatic death of Jesus on the cross, their leader, their teacher, and their friend. And that night and the next day together, they sat in utter despair, hiding in fear of what might happen. They hung around, these two guys hung around as long as they could, and now it was time to get back to real life, whatever That would be, they didn't really know. The dream of what the kingdom of God would look like as it had emerged from their little community, the hopes and the dreams on which they had really based their life the last three years, the vision that had caused them to give up the fishing business or the tax collecting or the like, all to commit themselves to following Jesus. It was all gone. It was over. They were wrung out emotionally, physically, and spiritually. They were powerless to change what had happened the last three days, and they were powerless to address the situation that now lay before them. The road from Jerusalem to Emmaus was the road between the now and the not yet. You see, all of us are on our own Emmaus road, somewhere between the now and the not yet, in some area of our lives. The disrupting event could be something as traumatic as the loss of a job. It could be the the breakup of a marriage or the loss of a very close relationship or the death of a loved one. It could be a little more subtle, like time to let go of something that we really have counted very dear in order to make room for something that we know that new is going to happen. It could be a negative pattern we know needs transformation in our lives, but we don't know how to get there. Or it could be an awareness that we're stuck in a place spiritually, in life where we don't know how to get unstuck. If we're not in one of those kinds of situations right now, we most likely have been, and we're getting ready to go into one of those places. And this story has much to say to us today. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. So you can open up your Bibles, you can pull out the Pew Bible, open up the Word on your phone or your app. It's also going to be on the screen behind me as well. So again, Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. The word tells us now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? 
They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us when they were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. All the, the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this testimony that is a witness to us, that comes through your word, about the presence, the, risen, the presence of the risen Christ that he appeared to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and, and went in with them to spend the evening and break bread with them. God, we pray that just as in the story, that, that you would open our eyes that we might see Jesus more clearly today, that you would cause our hearts to burn as we encounter you through your word today. May your Holy Spirit use these words to bring about what you desire. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I want us to recognize it's a spiritual reality that in our moments of confusion and despair that Jesus shows up. I find it interesting that he doesn't try to rush these guys out of their confusion and their grief. Uh, he doesn't immediately try to fix it all for them. He offers his presence and he asks some good questions at the beginning of the story. I'm going to say that again. He offers his presence and he asked some really good questions. Men, we should pay attention to how Jesus presents himself in this story. Can I get an amen from the women that are here? He was present and asked some good questions and listened to them. He asked them when he approached them, he said, What are you discussing as you walk along together? And Cleopas, the one that we know is named, kind of asked him the obvious. He's like, Where have you been? Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know the events that have been happening the last few days? I mean, for us to understand this, it would be like, go back to 9-11, and we're having this really serious conversation about the tragedy that happened with one of our best friends, and somebody comes up to us and says, Hey, guys, how's it going? What are you talking about? And you'd be like, Who are you and where have you been? 
since all these events have happened. Did you not know about the planes that hit the Twin Towers? Did you not know about the plane that went into the Pentagon? Where have you been? What is up with you? Are you from another planet? So Jesus asked them after they say this, he says, well, what things are you talking about? And Jesus seemed to know that they just needed to get their story out. They needed to tell somebody who could listen and listen well well to them. And so it all comes pouring out, the pain, the, the grief, the despair, the disillusionment, uh, the questions, the lost hope, and the dreams. And they concluded with this statement, but, but we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. What a poignant statement with the depth of their loss and, and, the, and, and its far-reaching effect in their lives. I want to pause for just a moment here and acknowledge that, that these disciples were in for a really rich experience as they went down the journey. We read it, right? But they didn't know who Jesus was in their appearance. They didn't know yet. And they were too lost in their grief and their disappointment to recognize who was with them. But just think, if the disciples hadn't invited this person they didn't know into their journey on the road, if they hadn't invited him into this deep and intense conversation, they would have missed this incredible mind-bending and spirit-bending encounter with Jesus. And we need to recognize that we need companions in our journey especially when life leads to an Emmaus Road kind of despair. Are we welcoming Jesus into those moments? Are we seeking him out in those hard places? Are we inviting our close Christian friends into those places with us as well to to walk those tough roads with us? We need Christ most in those moments. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ in those moments. Jesus is modeling for us here another important element of transforming community. The ability to simply listen and be with another who's struggling without having to fix it or give advice or problem solve. Jesus knew that these two disciples, these these guys who were disoriented, needed to tell their story and, and how they were affected by all that had happened to them. And there's something powerful about the quality of listening and being together with Jesus in the stuff of our lives that we, can, that we can open up our lives to fresh perspective and to new spiritual things that God wants to do. How many parents here in the room know that there are times when our kids face problems and have heartache and we can't fix it for them? And so, but we know about the idea of just a powerful presence that we can be to them, that we can love on them that we can listen to them, that we can share with them how much we care for them. It's just the powerful presence of a parent in a really painful time can mean a lot. The resurrected Jesus shows up, and he asks good questions, and he listened. And after expressing some exasperation about Jesus not having a clue about what's going on, they recounted kind of the basic facts of all that had happened over the last three days. And, and then again, we come to this poignant phrase, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They were so convinced that Jesus was the Messiah that they had staked their whole lives on it. They thought he was the one. Yet they seemed to be perpetually confused about what God's kingdom would look like when it was initiated. They didn't have a clue. They thought that somehow that Jesus was going to be some great political leader, like a king, or he was going to do a military coup and he was going to take over. He was going to kick the Romans out and even kick out the bad religious Jewish leaders and, and, and cultural leaders. They didn't understand, they didn't know that that God's approach to power was death, was a burial, and then a resurrection. 
They also thought since they kind of had gotten in on the ground floor of this new kingdom, that when it came into existence, they were going to have prominent places in the kingdom. And they were looking forward to having influence in that. And then all of it was crushed on Friday. And they were just still left with their dreams dashed. And up until this point, Jesus had only been asking them a few questions and basically had been listening. And, and now he begins to teach them all that they did not understand, especially through the Scriptures. He explained the Scriptures to them. He unpacked the Scriptures in a way that he pointed all the Old Testament Scriptures to who Messiah was to be according to God's plan. It says in verse 27, it said, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the Scriptures. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there when Jesus was unpacking all the Old Testament to explain what had just happened and what was going to happen? That would have been amazing to hear that from him. And he begins by explaining that the Messiah had to experience suffering. Something they did not expect or, or it didn't translate. It just was not in their paradigm. You know, if you ask people to name a time in their spiritual life when they grew the most or they felt the closest to God, often people would refer to a time of loss or discouragement or struggle or pain. And even though it was hard, so often God comes and he does some amazing things with us and he we get to experience his love and, his, and an intimacy with him that we maybe not had not sought before that painful experience. And, and he often brings about transformation in our lives. And while we wouldn't want to go back and experience whatever caused us that pain or that suffering, we sure do appreciate the fruit that's come from it, the, the fruit of the transformation that God's brought about in our lives. And so Jesus... Uh, he's in this conversation with these two disciples, and he offers them a completely new set of lenses to look at all the scriptures, to understand God's purposes and God's plans. And kind of thinking about that, about a year ago this time, I went in for my yearly eye checkup, and, and uh, the eye doctor said, hey, I, you know, I think your vision's changed a little bit. I think you're going to need some correction on your lenses. We need to update your lenses so you can see a little bit better. It happens to me about every three to five years. I usually have to have some kind of new correction in my lenses. I said, okay, let's order some new lenses. And so they ordered my glasses and in a couple of weeks they came in and I went back to go pick them up and I put them on and I, and I noticed that my eyes were kind of having a hard time adjusting to the new lenses. And it usually happens when I get new lenses. It takes a while. My eyes are used to the old lenses and kind of have to adapt to the new lenses. And so I mentioned that to the, the assistant and she said, yeah, that's kind of what happened. She said, give it a day or two. And you know, if you're still having problems, come back and see us. And so I went out and I thought, yeah, this is normal. And so, but over the next few days, I noticed, especially as I was driving, I was having a really hard time seeing the signs, reading the signs in the street. You know, speed limit, that's kind of important. Uh, you know, the, the thing I really noticed was the street signs that would tell me what street it was. I was having a hard time reading it until I got right up to the street and it was too late to turn when I needed to turn. And so I knew it wasn't quite right. And so after a few weeks of really trying, I didn't want to admit that it wasn't working. I went in and, uh, and so they kind of checked it out, and sure enough, I had the wrong lenses. We don't really know what happened, but I had gotten the wrong lenses. And so they had to order a whole new set of lenses, and, and I had to wait two more weeks. And then when I finally got those new lenses and I put them on, oh, man, everything was so clear. Like, I could see a sign a quarter of a mile down the road, could pick it up just like that, no problem. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing here for the disciples. He's given them a whole new set of lenses to read Scripture that they've read their whole lives and to understand it in a way so that all the events would make sense. 
And he suggested that there was no other way for the Messiah except that he suffer these things and then enter into his glory. And what Jesus did here in just a few words was draw attention to the heart of the Christian story. To those who'd experienced the weekend's traumatizing events, he was pointing out that they were not merely witnesses to a terrible injustice. They were actually witnesses to the great saving act of God accomplished in and through Jesus' suffering and his sacrifice of his life. They were witnessing God's power and his plan at work, not just a tragedy. And as he interpreted the events of the previous days, he's signaling to them that, that we too must die if we desire to be raised to new life in Christ. We too must lay down anything that's a hindrance to us spiritually so that we can walk in the newness of life. And the goal of the Christian journey is surrender. The ability to trust God with our whole selves and with every aspect of our lives. Rather than relying on our own attempts to achieve safety and security, to achieve affirmation in our own ability or approval in our own ability, and and even to be able to control for ourselves on our own terms the outcomes. It's this acknowledgement that we're turning over, we're surrendering all those things to a good and a faithful God. And we increasingly submit our wills to the love and the will of our Heavenly Father, and just as Jesus did it. And so there's a moment in time when we acknowledge, we realize who Jesus is and that he's resurrected and he's real and he's our Lord and our Savior. And we submit our lives and our will to him. And that's a moment we give our life to Christ. And we experience through that submission of our life and our will to him in that moment, in that decision, we experience the salvation that Christ has for us. And it's one death. We die to ourselves so that we might live in and for Christ. But not only do we have the one death that leads to salvation where we give up, we realize, you know what, I have to die to myself. Did you realize, you know, my experience has been we also live a life where we have to die a series of small deaths as we grow in Christ's likeness. It's not just the one death, but it's a series of small deaths as we realize there's still sin in our lives. There's still times when we're rebellious or we don't bend our will to that of God. And so it's a a series of small deaths to sin and self-control as we become more and more like Christ. So what does that look like? It can happen in big ways. It can happen in small ways. It's like the married couple that stays together through an act of infidelity as they give up their ideal of a perfect marriage and learn to give themselves back to God and to each other. And so by doing so, they experience a new level of intimacy that they didn't know before, both with Christ but also with each other. It's also a man who loses his job and he's been seeking or getting his identity from his work. And he comes to this realization that without the loss of his job, he wouldn't realize that he'd been over-identifying through his work. And then he spends time discovering his real identity, his true identity, in and through Christ. And the good news is he's walking in freedom now in this new identity that's not based on anything that he does or doesn't do. It's based on who Christ says he is and what Christ has done for him. It's the mother and father who've oriented their whole lives around the hope that their children would turn out in a certain way and experience certain great things in their lives. And then one of their children starts making heartbreaking decisions and squanders opportunities. And the parents become worried and stressed, and they don't know what to do about it. It seems like everything they try doesn't make a difference, and they're finally able to let go and trust God 
especially with what is so precious to them. And even though they care deeply for their child, they also know that whatever happens, they're going to be okay with God. Was it not necessary for the Messiah and for us to suffer all these things in order that we enter the glory of being with God in some new and complete way? Yes, it is necessary. Would we wish suffering on ourselves or on others? No, by no means. Uh, but are we, we walking around now as resurrected people because we've lost our life in order to find new life? Yes. We are resurrected people because of all that Christ has done and is doing for us. So the discussion these guys were having with Jesus underscores the point that the traumatic events that were surrounding um, Jesus are a part of God's plan for deliverance. What they've seen is not the end of hope. No, it's the beginning of hope. And that's when Jesus shows up. That's when the resurrected Lord shows up. And we need to know the same thing happens in our life. When we come to the end of hope, when we come to the end of our dream, that's when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, shows up. And it's just the beginning of hope when we search for him desperately. Have you ever been in a conversation that is so good and so rich you didn't want it to end? You know, like maybe the first date that ultimately led to you marrying your spouse, your husband or your wife. You know, maybe the first date went so well, you didn't want it to end. It, you know, it was just you were connecting on just great levels. Or maybe it's reconnecting with a long friend that you haven't seen for a, quite a while. And you just pick up right where you'd left off and it's so rich and so deep and you don't want the night to finish. That's where the two disciples were at with Jesus. As they're walking on the Emmaus Road, they come to the exit to their little road to the village of Emmaus, and they don't want to stop the conversation. They want Jesus to come with them into their home, and so they invite him to come in and with him. And eventually he was convinced to stay with them. And they had a meal together, it says. They shared a meal together. And I want to just make a couple of observations about that meal. The first is that this meal is so reminiscent of the Last Supper that Jesus had had with the disciples just a few nights before. They parallel so closely together. I wish I had more time to explain all of that. But I encourage you to go look at both accounts, the Last Supper, the meal, in the house in Emmaus. The second observation for us that I want us to capture this morning is that even though they had invited Jesus to stay in the home as a guest and join them in the meal as a guest, when the meal began, Jesus took on the responsibilities of the host. The scripture tells us, it says that he picked up the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he served it. These are all activities that the host would have done, not the guest. And so what happens here? What transpires here when Jesus takes on this role? Well, he shifts from being this stranger, this kind of traveling companion, to, to, to his rightful place in their lives, to being Jesus, their Lord, their Messiah, the risen Lord. And it's at this precise moment that we're told that their eyes are open and they were able to finally recognize Jesus for who he was. And if they had not invited him to stay in their home, if they had allowed him to continue on his journey, they would have missed the culminating moment of the whole journey. I think we can't overlook that in the most difficult moments of our lives and in even the ordinary moments of our lives, Jesus is simply delighted to show up and join right in. And when we welcome Jesus in, then our lives are powerfully transformed. As soon as they recognize him, what happens? He disappears. What's that all about? Why did he disappear so quickly? 
There's been a lot of speculation about this. Part of me wonders if Jesus was preparing them to not only discern him through his physical appearance, but now to begin to discern him through through his presence in and through the Holy Spirit. You know, they had only known him physically up until this point. But here in a few short weeks, he was going to ascend to heaven and he was going to eventually give the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they were going to have to discern his presence through the Spirit, not through his physical presence. And even though they're probably a little bit startled by his disappearance, they gained something very important in this moment. They had had the experience of their hearts burning within them. They had experienced the real presence of the risen Christ, and their encounter was life-changing. Transformation in Christ leads to mission for Christ. I love it. Our mission statement parallels this so closely. We go deeper in Christ. We experience His transforming love and His transforming power in our lives. And that causes us to desire to go further in mission. To serve in His kingdom and to serve others who don't yet know Him. And so these guys, they wasted no time in going back down the same road to Jerusalem that they had just come down. And now it's night. It's a lot more risky. But they didn't wait. They were so excited to tell their other friends about what Jesus had done, that he had appeared to them and what their experience had been like. And they had been transformed in Christ's presence from hopeless and dejected wanderers to confident and joyful bearers of the good news. And they couldn't wait to tell their story. And I love this story for so many different reasons. But most of all, this is a story about how the risen Christ can transform broken dreams and lost hope into new meaning and purpose. When we might feel like we're ready to give up and move on, Jesus shows up, listens to our broken hearts, reveals himself to us, and offers us hope that cannot be taken away from us. The risen Christ opens our eyes to see him for who he really is and causes our hearts to burn with passion to do his kingdom work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, this testimony that comes to us, through these two disciples and their world was upside down and yet Christ became their companion, journeyed with them, listened to them, and then unpacked all the scriptures for them to explain your purpose. And God, we're thankful that you still journey with us today. You journey with us in those difficult moments like these two guys, but you journey with us through the ordinary as well. God, we pray that that we would continually invite you in to all the moments of our lives. And that we would uh, just over and over again have our eyes opened to who you are. And as we spend time with you and in your word, that you would cause our hearts to burn. To burn for you, but also to burn for the mission that you have given Jesus' life for. And so, God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, it's just fantastic that the story leads us to the Lord's table. It just perfectly parallels, again, the Last Supper uh, with the disciples, but also the meal that they gave with them. And so uh, Jesus, again, at the Last Supper, he began to explain all that was going to happen with the disciples. They didn't understand. They were confused, and they didn't even have a clue how hard it was going to be the next few days. And yet he was obedient to God's will. He gave his life for them and for us. And then he meets the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the road of despair and disillusionment. And he reminds them, he reveals again to them who he is and what he has accomplished for them and for us. 
And Jesus invites us again to join him at the table once again, to bring our lives wherever we're at, if we're in a good place or if we're in a place of difficulty and despair, Christ meets us in this place and he offers us his presence. He offers us the gift of grace through these gifts. So we invite you to join with us in this meal, to join Christ at the table.